welcome to Pop Tart. <laughs> I'm Emily Rems. And I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today, uh, we are going to be interviewing one of my absolute number one pop cultural heroes of all time, Mr. Key Lake. Mm. And as an added bonus, her creative collaborator, Abby Epstein, is here as well. Welcome, Abby. Thank you. Um, so, Ricky Lake first found fame in John Waters' most commercially successful films, Hairspray, Cry Baby, and Serial Mom, um, as, as well as others. She then took over the TV landscape with her own daytime talk show. She was the youngest person to ever have her own talk show. And it was on from 1992 to 2004. And today... She's best known for exposing medical corruption and neglect as a documentary producer, first with The Business of Being Born, and now with her new film, Weed the People, both films she made with Abby Epstein. Thank you so much for being here so we can talk about your amazing films. Amazing. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> and she asked for the Vagina Monogamy. We can't just sit there and go, oh, thank God we're still able to get our pills, you know? Christ, the Savior is born. Whoa, that's crazy. It is crazy. I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Callie and I both saw the new film, and we love it. But before we talk about it, I'm going to indulge myself <laughs> in a little bit of hero worship. Uh, picture it, Sicily. 1942. Actually, it wasn't that long ago. But I do <laughs> want to talk about uh, your cultural importance in my life personally because I know that my story is not at all unique. I didn't see Hairspray when it first came out, but I did see it in 1989 when it came out on VHS. I believe I saw it with my very best friend, Johanna. I was 14 years old. I was in eighth grade. It's a large girl in junior high. And I couldn't imagine life being any worse. Um, I was so anxious and depressed. I was vomiting every day. I barely went to school. I had to wear like Liz Claiborne corporate separates from my mom's closet because there literally were no clothes for like plus size teens in the world. Like they didn't exist. And like I couldn't imagine not being just like a supporting character in my own life because there's, you know, there's that saying that it's hard to be what you can't see. And I had never seen like a plus size teenager celebrated in any way, shape or form in pop culture. Like they were barely there at all. And when they were there, they were the butt of every joke, just like I was the butt of every joke in school every single day. And all the messages that I got at home and at school were just like, if you change your body radically, then your life won't be like this. But I knew that I knew somehow that my self-worth wasn't entirely based on my dimensions. Like I didn't believe it and I but I also didn't believe that I would ever be happy. Oh, <laughs> to, to say, but when I saw Hairspray, it literally was like a giant paradigm shifting revelation to see Ricky Lake as a plus size teenager <laughs> who won the dance contest, yeah. who had the hot boyfriend, <laughs> who like 
was a rabble-rousing civil rights activist. Um, all of those things and wore just like the most amazing outfits I'd ever seen yeah. in my entire life. Like not just in terms of the best plus size clothes I'd ever seen, but just the best clothes I'd ever seen. Mm. Um, like I felt like I can think of my life as like before I saw Ricky Lake in Hairspray and after I saw it. Like I just started slowly but cumulatively to, to be the Tracy Turnblad that I wanted to see in the world. <laughs> you know, like even if I didn't feel fully empowered like Tracy Turnblad was. I could fake it till I made it. Yeah. And I really feel like so many of the wonderful things that I have in my life, like my dream job and my dream boyfriend and like going out in the world and actually pursuing the things that I want, even though I didn't quote unquote lose the weight, has so much to do with Hairspray and with specifically Ricky Lake's performance in Hairspray. Mm. I can't tell you how much it means to me to have you here in the studio. Okay, can I just tell you, I love you, and I'll, will you be my best friend? Yes. <laughs> it's You've so... been my imaginary best friend for a long oh, time. So this, Really, I have, I have chills. Every hair is standing up on the back of my neck, and I, it, I, I understand that it means so much to so many people yeah. like you. Uh -huh. I understand that now. I think, you know, you know, it, it's like the, the life experience I've had s since then. I mean, when I was in it, when I was making the movie, I, I can't explain it, but I was not, like, I didn't see through to fruition that this movie was going to, you know, open every door for me personally in my career, that it was going to do so much for other people. I didn't even think it was going to come out. It was just like <laughs> the summer that I got this job and I didn't have to go back to college. I was a freshman in college and I was miserable there. So it was just like, it was just like one foot in front of the other. Like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, oh, they think I'm the best answer. Okay, I can be the best answer. Oh, they think I'm, like, I can get that guy. Like, it was just like, like I was naive and I just believed what people told me I was. So, you know, Tracy Turnblad was me, like was very much my personality. It was so easy to play her because it was just like me and putting on those clothes. But like, it's it's now like seeing the ripple effect of, of this role and this character that I created with John Waters and to see it live on and be done in high school productions all around the world and a musical, a Tony Award. I mean, it's the, the, but the screenings you just had. You yeah, they just, because it's the 30 year, this is the 30 year anniversary. Oh, so it whoa. came out in 1988. It, we made it in 1987, but I think if I knew then, like what, when you when you're naive and green, like if I knew it was going to have this impact, you know, like be so more caught up in it. But um, it's 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 so beautiful to hear. Like it really, really is something that I I take very like like to my heart, you know, to uh -huh. hear that that it's helped so many people like you. And um, and I love that I got to do that role. Like I, I'm super proud of of my achievement in that in making that movie and how it's lived on. Uh-huh. Do you hear, like, stories like the one I told you every single day of your life? Well, I hear, it's so funny because the career I've had, I've, I'm all about reinventing myself. So uh -huh. I've done all these different things, including the documentary. Mm -hmm. So these days, it's, yes, that happens with Hairspray. It happens a lot. But it also happens with my talk show that I had, you know, the way I treated gay people on my show. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. you know, for everyone felt like they were heard, that they were treated with respect. And so that's one thing. So people, like, and then people now break into tears when they, with the business of being born and the impact mm -hmm. it's had on their personal life. With their, so I love that I get to do the this this work that fulfills me as an artist, fulfills me as like an activist and an advocate. But it also is like having direct one-on-one -on -one impact on on people I get to meet. Uh huh. One other thing I wanted to ask you about hairspray before I move on to your more recent work is that I imagine it must be a little bit strange for you to sort of be like the matron saint for plus size girls because you stopped being plus size like in the early 90s like is it an identity that you struggle with or embrace do you feel like people feel like they have the right to discuss your body because of the impact that you've had on 
other people's bodies. Yes, and yes. <laughs> and I am also implicated because I've chosen to talk about my body. You know, I've been I've chose to be an open book when it comes to that. So yeah, I'm a, I'm now I'm an, I'm at the higher end of my weight of late. You know, like I'm I'm wearing jeans that are size thirty as opposed to when I was a twenty six. Now I know that's not plus size, but that's bigger than I would like to be. Like I still to to to, to your point, I still have issues with my body as much as I love to say I healed myself through my birth experience that I did come to terms with you know my body and accepting myself and recovering from like childhood sexual trauma and stuff like that but yet still at the end of the day we are women in this society and mm -hmm. we look at these magazine covers as much as you know Tess Holiday, who's a friend of mine and seeing her on Cosmo or whatever she's magazine amazing. she's amazing and I'm one of my heroes but we still we're just we're just like like so pre-programmed to just hate what we see or want things different or want what she has or how did she do that, you know? So I'm still a work in progress, you know? I just turned yeah. 50 and yes, yes, my body works. I am pain free, like, you know, and I just had a bout of sciatica over the summer where I couldn't walk for six oh. weeks. I don't mm. know if you've ever had yes, any sort of- I have. I have never had that before. <laughs> I never had it when I was pregnant. It's bullshit. Never had it when I was 260 <laughs> pounds. I couldn't walk and it was one of the scariest things. So, so I appreciate my body. I still have issues with it. I think I will because I'm a woman and you know, I'd love to change that. I'd love to say that I've healed myself from it. But I can watch Hairspray now, and as much as that character was as confident as anyone you'll ever meet, me, the the actress, was you know still like a little you know gun shy, but went for it. Uh -huh. I can look at her now and just embrace that 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 young girl, and just you know, just give myself props because um I I realized that it was it was it was so important to so many people. Uh huh. Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so uh, you're here to talk about Weed the People. It's a film that is so powerful in so many ways. It focuses on kids with cancer and their parents' attempts to treat them with cannabis oil alongside more traditional chemo and radiation. Um, and it really deals a lot with the roadblocks that like, the government is putting in mm -hmm. the way of people who are trying to heal their children. There's, there, there's so much amazing info in the movie, but it's also a tough experience watching two hours of very sick children going through the rigors of trying to get well. How would you describe the film in a way where people actually want to see it? That's mm. like so, somewhat, it's kind of a struggle, and obviously, Abby, I'd love for you to weigh in on this as well. Like, how how do you sell a film like this that's so important that so many people should see in a way that makes people want to see it. Mm. Well, I think it's a, ultimately it's a hopeful film. It, yes. It, it really is. Um, and I, I think it's a, an important subject matter. I mean, I, when, in making these films, they sort of stem from either a personal experience or a curiosity that I have. So um, with the business being born, it's like the, the prototype we have is that film that we put out 10 years ago. And that film was so personal to me. Like, I, I honestly, again, like Hairspray, I didn't know that, that was going to be a movie that was going to live on and be this huge success. It was my personal interest. I was fascinated and dumbfounded by the fact that my peers did not really give a shit about how their babies came into the world. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't really want to be connected to the process. They wanted to have a healthy baby and be pain-free and be numb. And I, it was backwards to me. I just like, I, so I wanted to explore that. We partnered together. Abby was the visionary that saw the big picture of this film. And so that movie has sort of like, the, the, the changes that have been made in that film have, been, have, have gone beyond my wildest dreams. So with this subject matter, I mean, again, it's like why people are so 
misinformed about this plant. You know, why mm. the history, you know, it's, it was a medicine for thousands and thousands of years, and only in the last 75, 80 years it hasn't been a medicine. Like, Well, what even in the last 80 years it's been a medicine, but not one that's had the proper yeah, scientific right, but, right, testing. Right, but, right. Yeah. so, I mean, it's just, a, it's, it stems from, like, a curiosity, and I do think, I think this is compelling. I mean, it's maybe hard at moments to watch it, but I think it's so worth watching in the end, you know, to see the outcomes of these children for the most, I mean, it's, you know, audible gasps are heard in the, in the audience when we sit and watch it with them. I mean, it's just to see, you know, what cannabis, cannabis can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was hesitant going in because my niece had childhood leukemia and she's, she's a survivor, but I was like, oh, this is going to be heavy. But it was, you know, because chemo is the hardest part to watch people, Mm-hmm. Watch children suffer through like the one child. How how many months of chemo it was like? Which one? Which child? This little girl? Yeah, Sophie. She, she's still on chemo. So I mean, watching it, you're like, they're in so much less pain when with the when they can take the medicinal marijuana instead with the THC mm-hmm. instead of just the agony of radiation and chemo is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. When my niece lost her hair, we told her she was losing her baby hair to get to her adult hair. Mm-hmm. Which really, you know, that made How it. Old she, she was like, oh, I'm going to be old. She Right now she's um, 10, but she was uh, maybe one wow. when she was diagnosed. But wow. now she's totally clean. She's fine. Yeah, She's totally healthy. But it was, you know, I was hesitant. I was like, this is going to be a, a rough one. And I had just mm. got off my period, so I was <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know if I can deal with this. But it was so much more uplifting because it, it just gave you more positive hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it was so much more interesting than just, like, watching sick kids. It's way, way more positive than you think it's going to be going in. Yeah, and there's a little bit of humor and there's a little bit – I mean, it's just – it's 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 compelling material. And, I, I you know – Again, I think I think we need this information. I think you know the mainstream that you know because a lot of the families in the film are, are religious, which I think helps with feeding this to a mainstream mm-hmm. conservative middle uh-huh. America audience. You know, we brought the film to Oklahoma uh, two weeks before the referendum that they were voting on medicinal cannabis, and we they they pushed that film out there and it passed. And wow, you know, it's really exciting because it's like I think we had a little something to do with it. You know, by by yeah. sharing it with this 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 crowd that that you know t- did a 180 after seeing the film, and I read somewhere that you got the idea to make the film because of a fan of yours when you were on Dancing with the yes, Stars. Is it's that this right? Crazy story. A little girl that found me on social media. Her mom. She was going through chemo. She had something called NF1, which is not cancer, but she was li- she was living in an, in an illegal state, and they kind of came into my life. And my husband and I. My husband was researching cannabis. It's it saying it out loud is crazy, but she she came and lived with us, and we went on this journey of trying to help find uh, integrative care for her, including cannabis. Mm-hmm. And that's when I mentioned to Abby, "You're not going to believe what's going on." Like like, I moved this family out to to my house. They're living with me, you know. And she said, "I think we should film this. This is our you know." So so yeah, that's part the beginning of the journey. Whoa, that's crazy. It is crazy. I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so we touched on previously that you two made your first film together, The Business of Being Born, um, that was about midwifery and home births. And I saw both of you go into labor on film <laughs> in that movie. Ricky, I saw you give birth in a bathtub in that movie. I so... pulled him out of me. If you, you pulled him out of <laughs> yes. you in the bathtub. Um, tell me about your friendship and how that evolved into this special working relationship you have today where you're capturing really intimate 
moments of both of yourselves and of other people mm -hmm. in just the most raw, intimate moments of their lives. How did your friendship come about and how did that turn into this amazing working relationship that you have? Well, it's 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 a great story. We 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 did the vagina monologues together. <laughs> yeah. That's like, so we've been talking and doing vaginas since 1999. I think we started working together and she literally was directing me, you know, off-Broadway. And we became friends, and um, so that was 1999. Then I had my second son. I told her, we became friends, and I said, oh, I'm gonna have another baby, and I wanna have a home birth. And she was just like, you're crazy, you're crazy. She didn't even know really what a midwife was, not what a, didn't know what doulas, anything. And I had this experience, and it was post that, having my child in my bathtub in my West Village apartment. Two months later, 9-11 happened. Oh. And from that same apartment where I had had the most sacred, like empowering, I came truly, like came into my power that words cannot describe that feeling that you have when you you give birth to your child. You know, I remember like when I had my first son in a hospital in 97, and I had, again, I had a really empowering experience, but I did have a lot of intervention. But I had my baby and my midwife came in and I was like introducing my mom to my midwife. And it was a life-changing moment. I said, mom, mom, this is Sandy. She delivered my baby. And she stopped me. She said, no. She said, you delivered your baby. Mm. I helped you to deliver your baby. And that was when I sort of took ownership with the first birth. And the second birth is so next level mm -hmm. when it was in my apartment and I could have, it was just, it was just night and day. So, so after I had that experience and after I witnessed 9-11 and thought I was gonna die that day, that's what shifted everything. Oof. I mean, I literally thought, and I think part of it was a lactating mom. I was, I mean, I, I, I really thought I was gonna die. It was the end of the world and I, I thought, oh, this is my legacy, this, this show, this talk show about mostly nonsense. And so that's <laughs> where I really, and my show was great, but it was really not my voice. And so that's when I really soul searched about what, I, where can I make a difference? Where, what do I care about? What, what do I believe in? And I was so profoundly impacted by my birth experience with my midwife at home that that's, that's what I want. I didn't know it was a documentary and Abby and I stayed in touch and I said, look, you know, I have this idea and I gave her my birth video that I hadn't watched and I gave her a couple of books that, had, you know, that meant something to me. And she said, I think we, this is a documentary. And so that's how we started. And that movie took that's three awesome. and a half years. Mm -hmm. Abby, who, you know, wasn't planning to be a subject in the film, <laughs> became pregnant two years into the filming of it. Uh -oh. And what happened, you know, between her with her birth with Mateo and all that happened in the film was really, uh, it, it balanced the film, you know? I think otherwise she had, well, I don't want to give away the end of the movie, but basically it, it was almost like a, just a perfect kind of, mm. you know, just, culmination of, mm -hmm. of, of and, and, and what became my life's work. Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, it's the work mm -hmm. I was think I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. all, of the, all of my career, my mm -hmm. acting and my talk show has led to doing this mm -hmm. work that I believe is changing the world. That film's, what, like maybe eight years old? Ten years. Ten years it old. Out, yeah, 2008. In, in the aftermath of that film, I, I don't know of any other, like, big home birthing documentaries, yeah. any bigger than that one. What is the feedback that you've gotten 10 years later? Like how many people have been like, this child was born in my bathtub because of you? Oh, and, or this, my career, I shifted careers and I was gonna become a doctor, but now I become a midwife, right? I, I wanted to become a doula. I mean, it's it's major. Like it happens, yeah. it happens a few times a week where women come up to me and Abby and they cry. I mean, they mm -hmm. literally, like it's it's so moving for us mm -hmm. too, and, and I never get sick of hearing a beautiful birth story mm -hmm. that happened because they were educated about our film. It's mm -hmm. it's 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 mm -hmm. profound. Like it's really really been, um, and again, like we didn't anticipate it having an impact. I mm -hmm. really didn't think I didn't know if anyone would care, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it was just personal. And so yeah, mm -hmm. the, the fact that it's had this ripple effect. I mean, the anthropologist that's in our film, Robbie Davis Floyd, 
She told us just a few months ago that the home birth rate has doubled in the country, and they, she said because of the film. Whoa. The C-section rate is flatlined for the first time in decades. That's and they amazing. said because of mm-hmm. the, what, what people have learned with the film. Mm-hmm. And then on top of, you know, like you, you're just sort of a crusader for opening people's eyes to other options that they have um, in their lives. And mm-hmm. something I found really particularly moving, I, I'm someone who's been in um, – my my life partner is bipolar mm-hmm. and i've been in that relationship for 14 years wow and so when i saw you come out the way that you did i first of all i'm i gave you just like all my love and condolences that you lost your husband to mm-hmm. suicide after a long battle with bipolar disorder and it hasn't Thank even you. been a year right it's been 20 months and uh, okay so it has been uh, you know there's a lot of ways that you know, people in the public eye can respond when something like that happens in their lives. And the the fact that you, in the midst of, like, your mourning, came forward and said, like, mm-hmm. my partner had bipolar disorder and, mm-hmm. like, this is what it is and, like, mm-hmm. let's clear the shame away from it and there's help out there and there's lots of different kinds of help that you can have. The, the fact that um, you took such a personal, devastating event in your life and w- were you able to use your platform to to shed light on it for so many people I just found it astonishing mm, and so you. moving and you know a lot of times you know like I I wouldn't trade my partner for anything through the ups and the downs but there's been you know like close people in my life who would be like why would you sign up for that like you like when you got together with that person like mm you knew that he was bipolar like why would you stay with someone when you knew that they were bipolar and like it like he's a magical gift to me that i'm thankful Mm -hmm. for every day Mm -hmm. and i think that um the fact that you were able to bring some dimensionality Mm -hmm. to a condition that's really so stigmatized and is so hidden Mm -hmm. was just is so amazing i'm sure you helped so many people i'm sorry to Oh, bring up something that's so tender, but I yeah I respect what you did so much. Thank you. Just so we connect Christian, because he really was such a brilliant guy. I mean, this movie, Weed the People, would not be here without Christian. I noticed that it was dedicated to him. Well, he, he was instrumental. He is the one who did the original research. He brought up the idea. He educated Ricky about it. He connected it. Mara. He connected he Mara with us. He found the characters in the film. Wow. You know, he had a brilliance. You know, he's, a, he's credited as a co-producer on the film, but he had a brilliance that was hard for him to harness, you uh-huh. know, into, like, everyday functionality. But, man, you know, I mean, he had a heart and a vision and a, and a soul, so it's... I think, you know, really a testament to him that Weed the People came out to be the movie that it, that it is. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he His would spirit be so is proud on every frame. It, he would be so proud of it. Yeah. 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 It's really. And, 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 and as far as being open about what I went through with losing him, loving him and losing him, I don't know any other way to be. Like, I've always been an open book, mm-hmm. with, you know, since the beginning of my career. I mean, I, I don't know how to be guarded, you know, uh-huh. and it's gotten me in trouble in, in, in some ways. And in other ways, it's like, it's part of my truth, you know, it's our story. And, and I, I, I mean, I, I think now I've come to like, I want to help others. I want other people to understand what it's like mm-hmm. to love some, to, to, for, for someone to be suffering with these, these mental illnesses and also for the people, the loved ones that suffer alongside them, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's, it was really, um, 
and I didn't understand what bipolar was. When he told me we met and got mm -hmm. together and fell in love, he, he told me he'd been diagnosed bipolar, and I was like, oh yeah, and I'm a control freak. I totally, yeah, yeah we all have our <laughs> shit, know you know? Either. I didn't know what a manic episode looked like. Um, I didn't see it coming, you know? I, I couldn't have stopped it. I mean, and, and that's what the frustrating thing, because I have been speaking publicly, and I do think it's important that we ch we get rid of the stigma, and I'm involved yeah. with a group called Bring Change to Mind, which is a beautiful organization that is all about that. Glenn Close started it because her, her sister's schizophrenic and bipolar, and she was very close to Robin Williams, mm -hmm. and it's 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 so so important. But um, but for me, it was so frustrating because I I did have all the resources, I did have all the money to get him the help, and we did do everything for him, and mm -hmm. it, it just I couldn't save him, you know, and um. And I just have to, I have to live with that. And I, but I know I did everything I could. And I know, right. I mean, I'm very, I'm very resolved in it. Ha this happened the way it was supposed to. And that, you know, in the end, when he did take his life, we, we had closure. We never stopped loving each other. And it's confusing for people that don't, that didn't know us. We weren't legally married at the end because after his first manic episode, he was so destructive and like spending all this money and giving it all away to charity, like giving mm -hmm. all of it, you know. Yeah. I had to sort of protect myself and do, I mean, we stayed together as a couple for two mm -hmm. more years. So we were together in the end, even though we weren't actually, you know, it's, it's, it's right. confusing. But, um, but all in all, like, I, I think I'm supposed to be the vessel and 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 help others through through my story. You know, I think he would want that. Mm -hmm. Do are you planning anything for the future in terms of filmmaking in that? I arena? think about that. I don't know what. I mean, I I don't know. I've thought about doing a documentary. I've thought thought about having a feature about him because his story is so. It's fascinating. I mean, it's, I know it's my life, but Christian, you know, with bipolar and with many of these mental illnesses, it's like genius and madness mm -hmm. going hand in hand. You know, it's and it's yeah. it's like it, he was both. I mean, he yeah. was, and and bipolar people are the most charismatic, so the sparkly. most like like just they're they're the special ones. And in certain cultures, you know, when they when they see someone who's mentally ill, they they're they're celebrating them because they're the gifted ones. They're the mm -hmm. the truly special ones. And so, you know. I don't know. I just learned. I've learned. I've learned so much through this process. And he was truly of all the things that happened to me, my career, my my family, my children, all the amazing things. He's. I think he's the greatest thing that that happened to me in my life. Like he opened me up. He exposed me to so much. He's. I mean, I've really evolved to to a much better me, having had him, loved him, and lost him. Mm. Thank you so much for letting me ask you about that. I know that it's tender. But it's really so helpful to hear you talk about it. I think a lot of other people will feel that way. I too. hope so. Thank you. So you are filmmaking women, and you were making films before the Time's Up Me Too explosion, and you're making and promoting films after. Have you felt a shift at all? The films that you make are really explicitly about women. Um, you know, they're not not entirely. But like, there's a real strong woman's point of view in in those films, and they're not; those are not always the easiest ones to get made, to get distributed, to get, um, you know, uh, promotional energy behind. Have you noticed any shift doing that kind of work before Me Too and Times Up and after? 
I don't know. Do you notice a shift? I notice it's funny because like Ricky mentioned when we met, it was during the vagina monologues. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we did with that play, I don't know if you guys know about the the V-Day movement. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. My favorite vagina monologue story. Emily used to work at a theater (laughs) and this lady called and she asked for the vagina monogalies. (laughs) And Emily was like, how does she not know? Vagina (laughs) monogaloo? And it's like she has a vagina. But yeah, she, how can you have one and not know how to say it? It made me so sad. That's like, oh my god, that's never heard genius. That. I haven't heard I that one. Never I've that. heard a lot of them, but it doesn't. It doesn't surprise me. Like I can't hear vaginal. Now I can't even say well, it. I had to do the cunt that's monologue. That's funny. I had yeah, to say, uh-huh. I was. I had a real hard time with it in the beginning. I did not want to do that monologue. Yeah, you Moving were good at that it. word. I did. I did come to love you were really good at it yeah so but anyway like so you know v-day and like so anyway ricky and i participated in um this v-day at madison square garden so this was like epic this was like called eve take back the garden it was like 2002 no i was pregnant with owen so 2001. 2001 ricky was very pregnant with owen and we had like you know, eighty celebrities oh, like on Oprah, stage. James Bond, like Glenn every close. It was a star-studded cast of like eighty celebrities. You know, and here we are, sold out Madison Square Garden, all wearing red. We all, all wearing red. It was like this amazing night. We had like Queen Latifah there, and then you know, at the end of the show, like Eve would usually ask people to stand up if they'd ever been abused, and like, you know, almost every actress stands up, including like Jane and Oprah. And, I just remember it was like for all of 20,000 of us there in the garden that night, it was like, oh, my God, you know, we're breaking the silence on this and the world's going to shift. And then it was like you open the newspaper the next day. It was like it didn't happen. (laughs) No, it was just like it didn't happen. I'm sorry. It was just like there was no real movement. I can't say why. But, you know, it was like things didn't catch on things. Nobody was writing about it. Nobody was hashtagging it. And so. I think it's there great no that the, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's great that it's like this time's up moment is now. I don't know why it's now. I'm not sure what the zeitgeist is. I think is it's because we're furious about Donald Trump and we're just like letting it rip. So, I agree. Yeah. I think that's like a huge part of it. I mean, we're both furious about Donald Trump. And I think so now I, I do feel like it'll be interesting to see um, like – how things play out. I'm, I'm especially curious with the new film, with the birth control doc that we're doing. Uh-huh. You know, because there's a real sensitivity to this because people have said, oh, well, how can you make this documentary? Because, you know, now you have to focus on access and Trump and it's all about access. So I, I hope that, like, with with even with our new film, with Sweetening the Pill, like, people will be able to look at this and not make it this tribalistic thing. Like, oh, my God, they're criticizing birth control. You know, it's like... Yes, we can have both opinions. We can say we need better, safer birth control, and we're allowed to criticize what's on the market. It's okay. Mm-hmm. There, it's a, there's enough room for that. Like you know, there's a, there should be enough concern about women's health that we can say it should be better. We can't uh-huh. just sit there and go, oh, thank God we're still able to get our pills. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's it's like it's like yeah. making us think in this More, like small please. way. <laughs> yes, you know, and I feel like it's like we just have to get like you know bigger and and fiercer and i feel like we are so i think our films are gonna get oh boy bigger and fiercer probably (laughs) tell us a little more about sweetening the pill like what what is your beef with birth birth control 
Well, there's a, I mean, you know, again, like, like what we did with the business being born is what, what I'm hoping for with both We the People and with, like, our whole thing is about informed choice. Uh-huh. Informed yeah. choice. So, again, it's like, you can have whatever, you can make whatever choice what's best for well, you, but you should really know what it actually is doing to your body. It, you know, you realize that those drugs, like, shut your hormonal system down. Yes. Right? You no longer really have a period. You know that, right? It's like... A semblance of something. It's but well, it's, yeah, but it. I mean, it, and it and it causes certain people low lying depression. It causes your your personality to change in a lot of cases. It. I mean, it does a lot of good for some people, and it does mm-hmm. a lot of not so good. And it's just we're not again we're not trying to scare women off of these drugs, but we want them to know the pros and cons. Well, like in in business of being born, you talked about a lot of the risks um, with like everybody getting C-sections and you offered this alternative. Like what is what is the alternative to hormonal birth control? Well, like pull and pray. Fam. <laughs> fam, there's something called fertility awareness method, mm-hmm. which is not pull and pray. It's actually tr- learning how your body works. But I also think you you bring up a great point. You know what I mean? If you're looking for a non-hormonal option right now, there's a condom, there's uh-huh. a copper That's IUD. That's what I roll with. I'm terrified but, of birth control. But there's also some nice barrier methods coming back in. There's there's a fem cap, which is kind of a modern version of a cervical, cervical cap. cap. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, the diaphragm is kind of gone, but now there's something called a diva cup. I mean, you know how like period, like menstrual cups are coming into play? Yeah. Well, the birth control world is following a little bit with some more flexible, long wearing, not your old mom's diaphragm, the big uh-huh. rubber frisbee, yeah. you know, some <laughs> some more like flexible barrier options. And like Ricky was saying, there's also these fertility awareness methods apps, which are not rhythm method, which are not pull and pray, which are really like 99% effective if you're when able you to track your cycle and take your temperature every day and, and track them in that way. And, and we actually think that femtech is something that, you know, you know, we would like to see a day where, you know, you pull a little chip out of your phone, you spit on it, you put it back in your phone, and it tells you today you can get pregnant, today you can't. I mean, mm. that's, I think, where we want to be heading. And I think probably the tech world is going to beat the pharmaceutical world in coming up with non-hormonal options. But for right now, it's like, look, I mean, you know, we both were on the pill for years and years and years. If if if, if you're on a, a birth control, like Ricky said, that, that is working for you, that you don't have debilitating side effects, that's, you know, you if feel when good. When you take it out, you just collapse into the hysterical crying. Is that a debilitating side effect? Is that, does that happen to you? <laughs> when, you t- when I take it out within, like, 24 hours of taking it, like, I feel fine with it in. But then when I take it out, the weird hormonal like crash, crash makes yeah. me feel like the sky is falling like Chicken Little. Exactly. I haven't taken odd. Like, isn't that weird that, that It is really weird. That sounds crazy. I haven't taken birth control since I was in high school. Depo-Vera shot mm. way back then, Ooh, and yeah. then I was a moody little bitch. And me yeah. and my boyfriend at the time broke up, and I was like. I felt like I was turning into George Costanza. I thought I was losing my hair. <laughs> I was gaining weight. I swear I shrunk. You probably And were. I was really irritating. And I was like, what the fuck is the point of me being on birth control, running around like a maniac, right. short, no bald, one wants to sleep angry with me. George <laughs> Costanza? Exactly, that's Not true. Not to say there's anything wrong with short, pregnant. bald, angry George <laughs> Costanza. They'll still get laid. But I know right. my attitude is birth control enough. Yeah, so I right, never right. took birth control after that. I was like, this is just not Right, and I, and I think that's that's our kind of 
what we're looking at in the movie is like, why does the entire female population have to self-medicate? You're taking an entire population of very, you know, healthy women from age like 12 or 13 to age God knows, right? And you're putting them all on these medications because women have to take the entire responsibility Mm -hmm. for all the birth Mm -hmm. control because, you know, unintended pregnancies are women's faults and, you know, abortions are women's faults. Like, women have to, like, bear this burden. And then on top of that, if you interview most women, it's the highest number. I think it's, like, 60% of women who try the pill go off in the first two to three months because of side effects. There's a very high discontentment rate. But because we're women, we put up with it. Because we have no other choice. My husband was like, oh, why don't you get on the pill? And I was like, Neither of us want that. We just you do not <laughs> you do not want to deal with what's going to happen. The vasectomy was a beautiful thing. Yes, for me with my second husband, Christian, yes. when we decided we didn't want to have children, and you know, and they should do more vasectomies. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like this kind of scare. Oh, you're messing with like men's fertility, you know. But they tried a male pill, and they decided men wouldn't put up with men the side wouldn't effects. put up with right. any side right. effects. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, we need an. You getting the gist of what our movie is? We need, <laughs> I'm getting we a need, clear idea. We need some time. some education and some innovation here mm-hmm. because yeah, I think the stuff on the market is not. Um, it's it's not good enough. We've been talking about some pretty feminist shit. We have. Um, what are your feelings on feminism? Do you identify with the word feminism? How has your feminism evolved over your? very feminist filmmaking mm-hmm. careers. I mean, now we're cannabis fe- feminists. Right, yeah, it's yeah. true. <laughs> I, women I've always weed. identified as a feminist. Always? You know, I, always, I can't think of, I mean, I know there's like backlash, but yes, like Gloria Steinem is my hero. And you know, I've, I, I mean, I, yeah, and I guess the whole thing with women, equality and equal pay, like it didn't really apply to me. Like that was, because I was, I was given this talk show, I was given this opportunity that I know is a rare opportunity. I was paid handsomely. Like there was none of that, but I've always supported women. I'm I'm all about you know just like using my voice, showing up, you know, putting my money down, and just supporting other women. I've never I've never really felt the backlash. I mean, I read about it, but it doesn't feel personal to me. Yeah, no, I would agree, and I, I and also I think you know expanding your idea of feminism. Like I had worked on the vagina monologues for so many years. I directed an entire documentary about violence against women and V Day, going all over the world. Like I thought I was like you know like uber feminista <laughs> empowerment you're that bitch I yeah. thought I was totally like you know and then when Ricky started talking to me about her births and midwives and home births and I was like ew like I was like <laughs> you know that's like ew midwives like what does that have to do with feminism like you know so then once I read the books and I got a little educated I realized oh my god like <laughs> There's a whole feminism around the body and around birth, and there's a feminism around the way midwives have been smeared and replaced by, you know, a very patriarchal system in the hospitals. And, like, so then that expanded it more. And now it's almost like I have to say even with the cannabis film, even with Weed the People, you will see in our film these mama bears Whoa. I mean, they are some serious mama bears, like mothers of the children, but also some of the women, like one of the women are star of the film who makes the oil, makes the mm-hmm. cannabis oil for the children. I mean, you I do, love that lady. Oh, yeah. I love Mara Gordon. Yeah. I mean, you don't get in her way. And I feel like. Is that the one that 
sass, sass that woman off to cut the oh yeah super yes. oil oh yeah she's yeah she's she's you know Mara's like amazing but again it's kind of I feel like there's a there's a feminism around cannabis you know it's a female plant the plant has a feminine energy I felt I feel like in the cannabis industry we're meeting all these like unbelievable women yeah that next level yeah and they're just like you know we're not gonna see like watch like a repeat of silicon valley you know where the men come over and take over tech it's like no no no, we're in cannabis like we're getting in and and we're figuring out the women in the weed industry this was several years ago so just when it you know yeah things were starting to pop up and women that had the yes but you know what i dangerous though because a lot of the like the stores that you sell it, they can't take the money to the bank, you know? Right. It's yes. all like, and so that's cash. such a, and since most of them, the women own it, then they have to pay for the security. Yeah. It's very challenging. But I right also now. think that, is that such like, a I huge think hurdle they put on them. My feeling about women also is like, there's a reason there's a lot of like female documentarians, right? Not only because you don't make any money. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason, and it's because there's depth to it. There's meaning, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think you see women in crypto and women in cannabis because at the heart of, of there's a sort of equality. There's health equity. At the end of the day, cannabis is about health equity. Can I ask you a question? I know it's off topic. I know Please you're do. doing the interview. Yes. But I'm just interested. You guys are so awesome. And oh. do you, my favorite show of all time. It's yes. totally off topic, but <laughs> no, I want to see if you're aware of it. Her obsession. Yeah, my obsession that has gotten me through with losing my husband and through some. You're stopping me? Crazy no, Ex-Girlfriend. Laughing. Have you watched oh, Crazy yes. Ex-Girlfriend? I have watched clips of it on YouTube, but it is very popular in the bust office. I'm behind it is a couple brilliant. seasons. It I is brilliant. She is brilliant. Rachel Bloom is literally my spirit animal. I want to be her in my next <laughs> lifetime. She is, so, and what she's done about, because I'm a huge musical theater fan. I grew up, you know, I, I live for musical theater. And for her to write this original thing that she writes all the music, performs it, stars in it, all, all of it, music? all of it, all of it. And it's about mental illness. It is. It's yeah. so genius. She's keeping anyway, it real. You, yeah, she's, she's amazing. She's, she is a powerhouse. Well, you just effortlessly segued <laughs> into that funny my how I can do final that? question. Oh, really? Who yeah. am I? Who gets me going? <laughs> well, this is a pop culture, pop culture podcast, and the second half that Callie and I are going to launch into after we bid you guys uh, fond adieu is a section that we call What You're Watching, where we just talk about what we've been watching. Oh. So before you guys leave, we need to know from you two what you're watching. And when I say what you're watching, I mean TV shows like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, movies, books, podcasts, music videos. Video shorts with Dr. Pimple Popper. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> Any kind of media that you guys are consuming, mm. we want to know about it. Ricky, you first. Okay, well, I just told you my favorite show of all time. <laughs> of all is, time. Of all time, which just says a lot. Like that I, does I, say a lot. I love pop culture. I love TV. I, you know, I, I, yeah, it moves me. Yeah, it moves me. I love like Pod Save America. I do my walk run every morning and I listen to those guys. Do you really, watch it on HBO also? I do, I do. And I, I think they're, you know, because I'm a, I'm a talk show host, so I watch it with like, I think it's a little rusty. The first week was a little rusty. Like they seemed a little fish it was out stiff, of water. Yeah. It didn't work at, like it does in the podcast for me. I think they're getting better. Um, but I but I have such high hopes for them helping to move this country in the right direction. So I'm big fans of theirs. Well, also Crooked Media. Yeah, I like uh, Keep media. It, that podcast, Keep It. 
I've never heard of TikTok. Yeah, let's keep it. Oh my god. <laughs> really? Yeah, really. Well, you, you guys would love it. No, I, I go, but I thought I was like lead. I'm all, I'm like no. always lead on the trends. Yeah, yeah. It's another crooked media podcast. And I like it because, you know, my brother told me about it and he was like, This is our favorite podcast now. I never stopped listening to it. So I listened to it on the airplane the other day and I was laughing out loud on the airplane. I was literally laughing out loud. They were talking about Stars Born. They're so funny. It but it's so nice because it's all pop culture. It's uh-huh. light. Ooh, that's- it's just you know it's not heavy it's not political because i can get really depressed and anxious if i Mm. get listening to too much like Mm. liberal media the The doom and gloom yeah Yeah. so keep it is fun it's really fun it's they're just like short and then yeah i know i know i I, I love my rachel maddow my lawrence o'donnell but it's getting to where it's just i can't i it it gives me nightmares yeah i I was just saying i love halloween it's my favorite holiday i usually go insane but i have not had my my zest this year because I'm like, what's fucking it's scarier really, it's than... It's really palpable. The anxiety and the hostility with people. I live in L.A. Mm. and driving, I mean, everyone is agitated and on their horn more than ever, mm. than, you know? And I think it's making us all sick. I mean, we're all mm-hmm. like mentally Well, today is crazy. My phone's going off every few minutes because of these the, alerts. The, yeah, the, alerts the alerts. The bombs right. getting delivered to everyone. It's a very scary time. Mm-hmm. But um, what else do we watch? I feel like you send me so many funny, like, viral videos. I and do. Podcasts. I have a lot like, more time. I my kids have, are big. <laughs> I know my, my yeah my kids are little. I'm always stuck watching basically. Or something, no right? no no. It's it's um those YouTube videos of um what's the big video game now? I I have oh no God, idea. The one where they're oh. just killing each other all the time. It's like Minecraft meets the Hunger Games. Yeah. I oh know yeah what you're yeah. About. I know what you're talking. It's about. on yeah, my yeah, phone. Yeah. I can't believe I can't even think of it. Yeah. But like I feel like you always always said funny oh. funny stuff. Yeah, I just read the Tara Westover book, The Education. My Education. Oh. Have you heard about this book? No. You guys have to read this book. Yeah, Tara Westover. It's an amazing memoir of this woman who grew up like off the grid. Mm. Was never allowed to go to school. Wasn't allowed to learn. Was Man. forced to like work in a job. It's like fascinating and like how she claws her way all the way to like Harvard and Oxford. Look, it's an incredible story of just like human drive and like how she was able to like overcome this like crazy brainwashing. She was kind of raised like in almost not in a cult, but they were extremists. They lived Uh, off the land. Wow. They had like a bomb shelter with like waiting for the end of the world. They were, you know, in this Mm. kind of, yeah, it's a real, it's a really good book. I was, yeah, I couldn't put it down. I was totally like, amazed by just those stories of people who like wow overcome Tara you know Tara Westheimer Tara Westover thank you guys so much for coming oh my gosh it's been a pleasure literally one of the highlights of my life (laughs) oh my god thank you guys again so much for coming thank you when we come back I'm gonna ask Callie and hopefully Callie's gonna ask me what you watching Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes. 
and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. And we're back. Hello. Callie, that was a life-changing experience for me. I mean, that is your personal legend. My personal legend, yeah. The star of my number one favorite movie of all time forever. I mean, that is who is going to play you in the movie, Buzz Magazine. Yeah. Several times you have said this. You yeah. just met yourself. I just met myself. <laughs> and I've never loved myself so much. <laughs> You're very charming. And you are very charming. <laughs> Callie, I need to know, what you watching? Well, well, well. Tis the season. Yes, the tis Halloween the season, season for horror. Um, first, before I jump into all the whole lot, uh-huh. have you seen Sorry to Bother You? No, but I would very much like to. It's fucking amazing. Great. It is so good. So it stars Lakeith Stanfield, and David Cross plays his white voice. <laughs> He's like a tele- telemarketer. And Where, so, what platform are you watching it on? I think we saw it on Netflix. Nice. I think it's on Netflix. I don't want to give too much away, but it's just like this telemarketer. He has to like put on his white voice to sell, and then eventually, is he going to sell himself out? You know, like it's mm-hmm. it's a journey, and it is amazing. Great, I will watch it. Um, one thing that I did not enjoy is I went to go see Death Cab for Cutie because Camilla, you know, my husband, he really loved them in college. I guess did it turn into Death Cab for Calais? Oh God, I had to leave early. I was like this. Is agonizingly bad, and Uh-oh. he was like, "You don't know this song." I was like, "I know none of these songs. <laughs> I know not 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 a single song. I knew the Postal Service." Yeah, I like Postal Service, but I don't listen to Death Cab as much. I just figured maybe I was listening to metal and rap at that time and missed it, <laughs> but no, I missed it because it's terrible. You missed it on purpose. But I, uh, the weekend before that, I sp- saw Spiritualized, or maybe it was the day before that, and that <laughs> was. Epic. That's 90s realness. Yeah, it was like all at King's Theater, and they were doing all these 90s things. So Spiritualized gave me all the amazing feels, and Death Cab squashed Isn't King's Theater so beautiful? God, it's... They restored the fuck out of that theater. I feel so fancy there. And we Mm -hmm. were VIP, so there was cheese plates. (gasps) You know... didn't say there would be cheese there. I saw... There's this show called Haunted on Netflix. Uh Uh-huh. Not to be confused with this other show I watched on Netflix called Haunters. Okay, Haunters so. was amazing because that's about uh, people that do uh, haunted houses. Oh, cool. And you know I'm obsessed with that haunted house. That's that... on Netflix? Yeah. Uh-huh. I think it was on Netflix. I'm obsessed with that crazy-ass haunted house, um, the McKinley McKinley Manor, the one that's like the extreme haunt where there's no where safe word. You. Yeah, no safe word. People grab you. They put spiders on you. Um, you have to sign a release that says they can pull your teeth out. <laughs> Like, this shit no, is, ma'am. This shit I is insane. In autonomy. And then there's like these other people that all these people that are obsessed and they just do these things in their yards. So I loved that. But Haunted is about it's like a documentary about people that think they're physically haunted, that a ghost is attached oh, like, to them. Yeah. And like the ghost from the haunted chandelier. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, that's on the chandelier. I don't think the ghost is creeping on you. But the first episode was like, OK, I, I believe this guy actually thinks he's haunted. The second episode, I was like, am I being tricked? Is this a mockumentary? Because that, it was insane. It was called, the second episode was called Slaughterhouse. And it was about this girl who thinks she was haunted because, well, the house was haunted and the ghost was staying with her because her parents were serial killers for years in the 90s in upstate New York. 
the family that kills together haunts together. Right. It, it was so crazy. Like, how did nobody know that there was a serial killer on the loose in upstate New York in the 90s? That's not in the news. I I don't believe you haunted. I don't <laughs> believe you're real. So that kind of ruined that for me. Yeah, that would send me to Google. <laughs> yeah, I did. I Googled it. And the internet is in an uproar. Reddit is like, what is this shit? But oh, there's man. no answers. There's no here and there. Um, what else did I see? I saw the thing. The thing. I thought I had seen the thing back in the day. You know, the 1990s, 1980 movie? 82. John Carpenter. Uh-huh. Good God, that movie is so good. John Carpenter is a master. It was amazing. I don't know how I had not actually sat down and watched it. Kurt Russell's hair is its own entity in it. <laughs> um, the, the thing was so good. I really wish I could be the demon dog with its skin falling apart for Halloween. That would be a really good costume. Would you like to tell the people what you are going to be for Halloween? A sexy sexual assault victim. I'm not sure how yet, but that's also uh, every woman. That's every person. That's just every woman every day, but you um, go on. I saw Scream. Still holds up. Scream holds up. Speaking of Scream, so I was watching Scream and explaining to Camilla that one of the dudes from Scream is one of the zaddies in uh, Riverdale. Zaddy? Yeah, he's hot. And then I was like, whatever happened to the guy with the rubber face? Coincidentally, the next night I'm watching the show Good Girls, which uh -huh. is it's on NBC, and it's about it's got Christina Hendricks and Retta and... May Whitman and they rob a grocery store and they're just all like suburban mobs that rob a, a grocery store and then they get sucked up into this life of crime. Life of crime, yes. But rubber face guy from Scream is one of the husbands in that. Huh. So there he goes. That's what he's been doing. Also living off Scooby-Doo money. I Wikipedia oh. and I was like, he is so rich that off that Sweet, voice. sweet Scooby-Doo money. The new Charmed. <laughs> is a joy is it a joy is it worth it i loved it they haven't really brought too much demon because you know that the, the demons on charmed were some wild they shit. were trash they were trash honestly it was like watching um the power rangers monsters <laughs> <laughs> so i think the demon game is a bit stepped up but okay all right maybe I'll i give definitely it a like it it wasn't as campy as i thought and i'm here for it and what have you been watching, Boobler? Well, I'm so glad you asked. I've been watching a shitload of things, but I'm focusing now on the spooky, the scary. I'll begin with the personal, because the personal is political. <laughs> As you know, two episodes ago, we had some lovely guests on, Tanya Hurley and Tracy Hurley Martin. At the end of the Pop-Tarts episode, they asked me if I wanted a chandelier from God the damn, original chandelier. They had procured a chandelier from the original Amityville Horror House. They were afraid it was making them sick. They asked me if I wanted it. I said yes. That very week it was delivered to my home and I immediately got very, very sick and was put on many drugs, including antibiotics and um, uh, steroids. And I and holy water didn't and holy water. <laughs> I got better, thank goodness. But I didn't know that because I'm rarely ever on those things that antibiotics and steroids totally fuck with your vagina. Your vagina. My vagina had a whole monogamy about it. <laughs> like my vagina was haunted. The demon was within oh my, my vagina. So even though the original illness was gone its reverberations remained you know all of our vaginas are just haunted from the dicks that have gone before them i have never i've only had one other 
uh, yeast infection in my entire life. And I called Callie on Christmas Eve (laughs) because I was like, it's Christmas Eve. I have my very first yeast infection and none of the drugstores are open and my vagina's on fire. And Callie told me to put garlic up there and it did help. It works. Uh, I appreciate that. But this time for my very second one and by far the worst one, I can only say of the two. Um, I did have the option of going to the drugstore because it was not Christmas. So I grabbed Monistat 1. Squirt the tube? Uh, like ovule, an ovule and an applicator. And I popped it in there. And then I was like, oh, my God, there is a demon in my vagina. <laughs> there is like I have experiencing full vaginal demonic possession. I promise you this is getting towards what I'm watching. (laughs) So I was like shivering and shaking in vaginal agony. And my luscious research assistant goes on YouTube and (laughs) types in Monistat One. And he found a video called Monistat One Needs to Be Off the Shelf, posted by a woman named Felicia. Tell me. And so I was like shaking all over and rolling around. And he's showing me this video on YouTube where this woman is like, I used Monistat 1 for the first time. And I was shaking and crying. And my vulva was in flames. She was talking about her vagina being en fuego. And then she explains the whole thing about how Monistat 7 you use for seven days. And Monistat 3 you use for three days. And Monistat 1 you just use for one day. And it's like a super extra harsh, crazy dose that like will set your whole reproductive system on fire. But then it'll burn it. It'll it'll, uh, slash and burn and leave nothing but ashes behind. But you'll be done with it in 24 hours. And so her hilarious video on YouTube really made me feel like I wasn't literally going to die. Maybe I should have watched it before I actually (laughs) used it. But then in the comments below, there was like all these other florid descriptions of the sensations that people were feeling. Apparently I'm not the only one who's watching this video while their vagina is on fire. (laughs) So like, remember when I had the garlic in my vagina and I was at the produce section and I sneezed and the garlic (laughs) fell out. Right in front of the other garlics, and I just had to walk away. <laughs> I just left it there. What do you do? Pick up your vaginal, vaginal garlic? <laughs> I would say it. yes. Pick up your vaginal garlic, but I don't know. It's hard to know. I what mean, because I was wearing. Because you have to let everything the sister breathe down there. So everything I wasn't wearing underwear, and I was just wearing a skirt, <laughs> and I went. It it never would have occurred to me to. Uh, type monistat one into youtube you know like i would have yeah. put it in google, google or something. Yeah. <laughs> but just like watching this super funny video of this woman describing why it hurts so much um helped me get through it did it clear up in 24 it did well that's good that's good um <laughs> on to equally <laughs> terrifying things that don't involve my vagina um, Lore season two is on Amazon Prime now. Lore is based on a really scary podcast, and it's real life, terrifying, scary stories. And they they make each episode is its own. It's an anthology series, so each episode is its own uh, self contained story with really high production values. Is so it reenactments? Great job, like reenactments of real things that happened. And so Lore two season or yeah, season two episode one is about these two shunned Irish immigrants in Scotland in the 1800s who uh, they start off as grave robbers selling 
corpses to doctors for like medical school cadavers but then they decide that like the inventory is much easier if they just murder people <laughs> instead of robbing graves yeah, I mean, it's, it's easier less to work. kill people than dig graves and so they became the most prolific mass murdering duo in history what? just to get that sweet sweet cadaver money and this episode is graphic it is graphic and violent and bloody and crazy so Ooh. you might like it ah i may like this um, I watched an old school horror movie, which I always recommend. Um, this one is called Asylum, and it's from 1972. This one was also on Amazon Prime. Um, it stars Peter Cushing and Charlotte Rampling, and it's a British horror movie that was released in the U.S. as House of Crazies. Mm -mm. But it's set in an asylum, and the premise is this psychiatrist goes to this like old creepy mansion asylum to like apply for a psychiatric job and the doctor in charge is like one of our doctors just recently became a patient go meet with all the patients and see if you can figure out which one used to be our doctor and so then he goes into each room and they and then they give like a vignette of like why that person is there oh so it's like a little mini anthology but the thing that's so cool is um each Little Vignette is based on a short story by Robert Bloch, who's the author who wrote Psycho. Ah! So it's like high-quality storytelling. And then there's like this asylum sort of frame around each of these weird individual stories. The last thing I want to tell you, the scariest thing Ooh. for this scary Halloween season is actually for the Christmas season. It is William Shatner's new Christmas album. <laughs> I heard a preview of it today. Ah, ah. And there is a song, uh, William Shatner doing Silent Night featuring Iggy Pop. It is literally one of the scariest tracks I've ever witnessed. And not only because William Shatner, you are Jewish. You know that you're Jewish. Why are you out there in these streets being like Christ, the Savior? Is that how it is gets born? Oh my God. Like, what? And then Iggy Pop is like sort of growl singing but it's like kind of sexy but it's about jesus there's a lot going on none of it is right or okay i kind of really need to hear it though william shatner's silent night featuring iggy pop drop what you're doing listen to it you'll never be the same it'll be the spookiest scariest halloween Spooky scare. and i'm just gonna like assault people with it all till from now till new year's start banging it out like pretend you have a car blast it on the streets <laughs> i'm just gonna walk around with a boom box <laughs> with shatner pop silent night on repeat <laughs> and that my friend is what i have been watching well that was a wild ride it was um thank you so much to our producer rachel withers the greatest producer of all and, of course, our pals, Lally and Marv and Jacob and Raheem at 300 Entertainment and our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems. You can email both of us. I'm Emily Rems at Bust.com. Callie W at Bust.com. And you can learn more about this show at Bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We don't want to be like your hidden shame, like on Hoarders, like a bondage <laughs> mask under a bed. We want to be <laughs> out in the world, not hidden. We want to be like... Blasting from the boombox. Blasting from the boombox on these streets like William Shatner singing Silent Night. Um, and we can be if you just rate and review us so quick. It really does make a difference. 
and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time, mwah!